Hello, thank you for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Joe Earp. School leadership is an increasingly complex role and research suggests the demands certainly take their toll on the health and well-being of principals, assistant principals and deputy principals. Since 2011, academics here have been analysing and tracking that impact through the Principal Health and Wellbeing Survey. The 2017 survey was carried out by a team from the Australian Catholic University and Chief Investigator, Associate Professor Philip Riley, joins me now to discuss the findings. Philip Riley, welcome to the Research Files now. I mentioned there you're the Chief Investigator of this survey and also the equivalent surveys which run in Ireland and New Zealand. Today we're focusing on the 2017 Australian results which have just been released. As I mentioned in the intro there, this survey has been an annual fixture, hasn't it, nationally since 2011. Uh, What's the aim, first of all? Well, the aim is really to to monitor the health and wellbeing of Australia's school principals. I started the survey um, beginning in 2010 with a grant from Monash uh, to look at this because we realised that principals were suffering quite a lot in terms of their health, but nobody was tracking the... um, the state of play. So we started by doing very detailed analysis of what had been done previously and then um, began the survey uh, really to just get baseline data and then track over time what was going on with uh, Australia's principles. Mm-hmm. Now who was involved in the, the latest uh, version? That's 2017. You yeah. just published those results and what exactly did you do? So the latest survey, we've had just under 3,000 principals and um, deputies assistants do the survey this year. Most of those people had done it in previous years. So mm-hmm. we have very high return rate when people get their individual results, which is one of the key sort of aspects of the survey process is they get very detailed personal results. Um, which brings them back. So we, we lose um, a, a number every year because of retirements. It's mm-hmm. a, obviously a job that you get usually towards the end of a career. And um, the people involved this year have been from all sectors, all states and territories. We've got a very representative sample. When you look at the percentages that we get versus the percentages across the whole country, it's almost a perfect sample. Mm-hmm. And what kind of things will it cover? I mean, health and wellbeing covers a lot of different it things, does, so what kind yeah. of areas? Um, so we, we actually look at um, a number of um, aspects of workplace functioning, I guess. So we use a, the, the major part of the survey is called the Copenhagen Psychosocial Questionnaire, which is considered the gold standard occupational health and safety mm-hmm. instrument. It's very long. It takes about 40 minutes for them to do that. And that covers all of the seven major theories of occupational functioning. So we've got items from each of those theories, but they kind of coalesce around this theoretical model called the job demands and resources model. And So we, we are mapping the demands, we're mapping the resources, and then the interplay between those two things mm-hmm. um, on a yearly basis. So that's uh, given you obviously some very detailed results then. Uh, so let's move on to those results. Can you take us through some of the key findings for this year? Yeah, so that, well, the key findings this year are the continuation of this work intensification that's been going on ever since we, we began. And, and that was one of the key reasons why we started the research in the first mm-hmm. place was that the job seemed to be getting harder and harder to perform. Um, and that's 
nothing's um, changed with that. So work hours are gradually creeping up the average hours at work and it's way, way over what would be considered healthy. Mm-hmm. In 1948, I think it was, the ILO um, set the absolute maximum work hours per week for anybody in any profession at 48 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Well, the average now for principals is about 60 hours a week. Okay. And... Um, there's new evidence coming out from ANU particularly, but also the American um, government did some big research on work hours and health and, and related things. And, and the, the ANU study, which is the most terrifying one, is that below, uh, beyond 32 hours a week for women and about um, 39 hours a week for men, you start to see declines in health, particularly mental health. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about the average principal doing about 25 hours a week more than that, which is they're almost doing two full-time jobs. And that's the average, so presumably the there's average. some people so doing way over that as yeah, well. Yeah, we always have you know a percentage of probably somewhere between 5 and about 11% of people doing close to 70 hours a week or above, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's 10 hours a day every day, no mm-hmm. breaks. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things, the work hours. What yeah. else is coming through? And, well, the, the other thing is that those work hours are increasing because of the work intensification. There is now way more accountability associated with the job than there ever had been before. And a lot of that work is technical in nature, but also sort of low level. It's nothing to do with being a principal in particular mm-hmm. and probably could be more efficiently done by people in central offices and departments of education. But it's being pushed out to the principals to do it under the guise of autonomy. Um, now, autonomy is a good thing in terms of workplace uh, occupational health and safety, but not if it doesn't have the uh, requisite resources. And that's what we're not seeing. We're seeing the accountability ramping up the administrative work ramping up but not the adequate resources to match those demands. Mm-hmm. What about uh, one of the things that I was reading just in terms of just personal safety that again it, it seems to be skewed I suppose uh, you know a, a much riskier profession if you like than, than some of the others. Yeah that's true and that's, that was one of the things that shocked me when we first analysed the results is that the the levels of violence that principals are experiencing is seven times the rate of the population in 2011. It's now nine times. So we've had two orders of magnitude increase in just seven years. And now that's pretty frightening. But I think that's a much bigger problem than just education because there is also um, evidence that it's increasing in other frontline services like hospitals, police, ambulance, social workers are all experiencing increased levels of offensive behaviour from the general public. So uh, I think this needs to be attacked at a, at a whole of government level mm-hmm. and it's got to be bigger than schools, although clearly schools are, are really suffering and principals are suffering particularly mm-hmm. with this. What about uh, the response from principals? Because I know one of the things that certainly you've asked in previous years is whether they enjoy the job, whether they get satisfaction, job satisfaction. That always seems to come through as fairly high, actually, yes. doesn't it? and this year, same as every other year, very high levels of satisfaction. And, wh- and that's one of the things that's interesting about the theory of this is that job satisfaction and job demands usually go in opposite directions, mm-hmm. but we've got both going up at the yeah. same time. <laughs> So people are realising what an important job it is and they get a lot of satisfaction out of that, which is great. And that's also in the 
um, in the literature, that's considered a really good resource mm-hmm. um, to keep you going in the job and keep you healthy. But clearly, despite all that, their levels of burnout, sleeping problems, all of those sorts of um, negative impacts are still very high. Mm-hmm. So it's good news and bad news. <laughs> you mentioned that it covers every state and territory and sector. Is it uh, much of a muchness? Is it you know widespread these issues? Yeah. There's not one particular sector or no. There's area. no. I mean, I guess the thing that happens is the, for instance, if you take the violence and things in across all three sectors, it's very similar in the early primary years. But then both the Catholic system and the independent system have the ability to expel or, you know, get rid of difficult families, difficult children who will eventually end up in the government system. So mm-hmm. towards the end of secondary school, it's skewed towards more offensive behaviour in government schools. But it starts off the same everywhere, um, which I think to me shows that it is definitely a whole of society problem that needs to be addressed at a whole society level. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that just for a moment then. What does it mean on a practical level? Also in the report, you talk about at the systems level some of those nations that are having success in those areas. Um, Well, the nation that seems to be doing the best in these sorts of things was up until recently Finland. Mm -hmm. And um, I've just been contacted by the Finnish Principals Association who want me to do the same research with them as as we're doing in Australia Isle and New Zealand because they say their principals are suffering as much as everybody else. So I'm not sure. We'll have to do the investigation to see how things really are over there. But, you know, they were championed as the leaders in all sorts of Mm -hmm. areas. And um, it would be very interesting to... Um, do that research and see if we can mm-hmm. find similar things which is interesting because in, in terms of Ireland and New Zealand and Australia the results look almost identical right. the, uh, the only major difference between the three countries is Ireland has a much lower level of violence two orders of magnitude versus nine that's a, a very big difference they report high levels of bullying but way lower levels of violence Okay. And that's really the only thing. Everything else, I could just about cut and paste results from one mm-hmm. country to the next, and they'd mm-hmm. still be accurate. So for people listening today, then, that are in those roles, or even educators looking to go into those roles, what what, what does the research mean for them? Are there any sort of practical things that they can do at an individual level? Well, I think, well, just if we back up a bit, I think that... that um, is already being borne out. There's a, a huge decline in the applic- in real application rates for the principalship mm-hmm. at a time when we have, you know, probably eighty percent of principals within four or five years of retirement age. We've also got an eighty percent decline in applications to replace them. Mm-hmm. Now in Portugal, they had the same problem. They are also suffering financially because of. Um, a whole lot of things. So they've made a, a an executive decision that anybody appointed as a principal now has five schools, and they wiped out the problem on paper. But you can see that there's a huge um, issue potentially arising there. So the schools are going to become self-governing collectives, I think, because the principals won't be there very often. Mm-hmm. Now we may have the same kind of issues coming up here and if governments it, it may look very attractive to governments to say we can pay a lot less mm-hmm. if we give five schools to each person silly enough to put their hand up to say I'll be a principal of that situation 
<laughs> okay. Um, so practically then at, at an individual level, is there something that educators can be doing in the not in the meantime, I guess, but Yeah. Well, I mean look, things are happening. I'm I'm starting to become very positive about governmental responses. Initially governments weren't really interested in the results and now they are wanting serious briefings with you know, reasonable chunks of time given to me to brief their senior executives and things. Mm -hmm. So I think there is an attitudinal change that's come about probably as a result of the findings being published every year Mm -hmm. that is, um, I think, very positive. I mean, New South Wales last year spent $50 million to give principals administrative support. The Victorian government's about to spend $4 million on health checks for um, at least state government principles. So these things are all kind of starting to emerge. It's too early for us to see changes in the results yet because most of these things happened towards the end of last year and we'd already collected the data last Mm -hmm. year in third term. Um, But it'll be very interesting this year to see if there's a a change because there is some support starting to emerge. Mm -hmm. So I think the future looks um, promising but there's a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Clearly, and I mean, the thing about the high levels of job satisfaction is, despite all of these things, principals are still saying it's an important job, and they really like doing it and making a difference in kids' lives, and that's the thing that keeps them going. So, if we can change the working conditions a bit, um, it could become a very attractive job again very quickly, and we start getting, um, you know, real momentum around this. Mm-hmm. And as you've said, reduce those hours as a starting point. Yes. Now, well, that, that could easily be done, and that really comes down to departments of education looking at the demands they're putting on principals mm-hmm. and whether they could change their own internal processes uh, more efficiently, which I'm sure they can, given the sorts of work that I see landing on principals' desks. Mm-hmm. So finally then, what are the next steps in terms of further analysis of this or future research? Well, you mentioned it's ongoing. Yeah, we have, we have now a big team of um, people looking at the data and um, a couple of PhD students who are, have just come on board this year to um, analyse the data in, in far greater depth. We have this wealth of data now and it's time to do some serious analysis. Mm-hmm. And that's all beginning in the background. We're also um, looking at expanding to other countries. As I said, Finland are interested in um, replicating this study. And we've, we've also teamed up with the International Confederation of Principals. Um, and they are keen to expand this research on a global level. They've got 40-something member countries. So there's a lot of work potentially ahead to do some... Com- comparisons with countries that are doing better, not so well, and trying to unpack what the the, um, the drivers of those things are. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned you're off to New Zealand shortly and you'll be releasing those latest results there. We'll, yeah. we'll put links to all of those other reports online, but uh, we wish you well with your future research. But for now, Associate Professor Philip Riley, thank you very much for sharing your work with the research files. Thank you for inviting me. That's all for this episode. To keep listening or to download all of our podcasts for free, whether it's more on the research files or our series on behaviour management, school improvement, teaching methods, global education or action research, just visit acer.ac forward slash teacher iTunes or soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen acer. 
The full transcript of this podcast and further information about the Principal Health and Wellbeing Survey discussed in this episode is at teachermagazine.com.au and that's also where you'll find the latest articles, videos and infographics for free.